Easter season began this past Wednesday with Ash Wednesday, time designated as a time of confession and repentance, to begin a 40-day journey to Easter that helps us to follow and to know Jesus better. So maybe not surprisingly, it's led by the Holy Spirit to start a series called Following Jesus. Following Jesus, looking at seven truths uh, for seven weeks about what it means to follow Jesus, to walk with him in this thing called life and experience his presence, thinking about asking, seeking, knocking, wondering um, what it is that he would want us to do, where he would want us to pick up our feet and go so that we would be in his presence. And I would submit to you no better place to be than in the presence of God. It's a place that brings renewal, brings change, brings transformation. Helps us to realize who it is that we already are in him, who we were created, redeemed, gifted, and called to be. Does anybody have... um, in their hearts a place that they would like to go to that they haven't been to yet? Kind of like your trip of a lifetime. Anybody? Yeah, a few of you. Yep. I have a couple of places that I'd like to go to on this earth that I haven't been yet. One of them would be Alaska. Um, I love the outdoors, uh, the rugged beauty of it. Haven't ever been there, so I'd like to go there someday. The other place and the first place I'd like to go would be Israel, just to be able to go and experience um, where it is that Jesus was when he did certain things, have scripture and stories come to life. That's a a dream trip for me. And I may or I may not make it, and I'd be okay with that. And And here's why, simply because the longer that I live my life, the more I realize I'm already on the trip of a lifetime. So as I I continue to to move through this thing called life, I think more and more about all the places that God has led me. I think about all of the experiences I've had and all the people that I've gotten to meet. I think about all the ways that he's called me to serve him and some of the results of that and what that means. And it just makes me praise God. It's, it's amazing. I think of a song, maybe some of you know it, that Stephen Curtis Chapman wrote. It's an old one. It's called The Great Adventure. And he talks about getting on a horse and riding into the blazing, uh, on blazing, under the unknown, the glorious unknown, a life with Jesus, just following his friends, walking with him. I think about that in terms of the disciples and the apostles, too. Had no clue what each and every day was going to bring, but they just knew that it was going to be great. And that's what a life in Jesus brings. It is a trip of a lifetime and it's an incredible privilege to be able to live that life. And if you know Jesus, you've been given that privilege. And it's what he calls us to do as followers of Jesus, both individually, personally, and together as well. And he hopes that we understand not only the privilege, but what it can mean who it is that we can be in him as we journey and follow him on a trip 
of a lifetime. That's the very reason that he came to earth. And it's the purpose that he gives to the body of Jesus, his church. So we're going to look at seven different truths about that, starting with one that's found in Matthew 9, verses 9 to 13. I want to invite you to open up the Bible, um, whether it's this way or with your phone, whatever it is, and join with me in reading this story about Jesus and the calling of Matthew. Matthew 9, verses 9 to 13. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked the disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. This is the word of God might be written in our hearts, lived in our lives. One thing um, I have shared a couple of different times, and I share it again, is if you really want to understand what it is that Jesus is trying to teach you as you get into his word, get into the story. And so whether you're having personal devotions at home, you're in a Bible study, or even now as you're, you're, you're listening to a message, whatever it might be, whenever you're going to get into God's word, get into it context. Figure out what is going on, what's happening in the story, because as you do, you'll understand and be able to grasp truth a little bit better and a little bit deeper when you know what it is that's happening and what it is that Jesus is doing and saying in the moment, what he's trying to teach and help people to understand and learn in terms of original audience and therefore you and me. So we're going to get into the story a little bit. First thing is this, what happens? Verse 9, Jesus is calling Matthew, a tax collector, to follow him. I want you to think about that with me for a few moments. Jesus is calling Matthew, a tax collector, to follow him. No big deal, right? Sure was. Do you know about tax collectors? Maybe. Do you know how much the Jews didn't like them? Dare I say hated them, despised them? A couple reasons for that. It was um, a job, despite all the relational drawbacks, that once it was posted by the Romans, was actually sold to the highest bidder. It was a highly sought-after job. Do you know why that is? Because it was incredibly lucrative. If you got a job as a tax collector, you would be set for life financially. Why is that? Simply because of this. It was a job description that had one line. Get us ours. The only thing that the Romans were concerned about 
in terms of what it is that a tax collector would do would be to collect the tax due the Roman Empire. That was it. Okay, that's not too bad, but then know this. They could charge whatever they wanted as a tax to whomever they wanted. The, the job itself then, if you connect the dots, really lured people who were dishonest by nature and a little greedy because they understood that. Everybody knew that. If we were all living in a, in a city, um, say in Jerusalem, and the job tax collector came up, or we would go to a tax collector, we know exactly what was in the heart of that person, what it is that they were about, and what it is that they were then going to do. Maybe you can, can um, hone in a little bit with that if you read Luke 19, uh, verse 8, that Zacchaeus. And, and he says, I will do what? I will pay back people four times whatever I have cheated them. See, that, that's the way it was. People knew it. The people who were bidding for that job knew it. So they could, they could cheat people. They could be dishonest and get away with it. And if people didn't like it, they'd just call on the military. The Romans would come and collect, make them pay whatever it is that the tax collector said you had to pay. They weren't liked for that reason. In fact, incredibly despised. But there was one other thing as well. They were turncoats, traitors. They worked for the Roman government, which was the oppressor. So therefore, Jews just didn't like them for that reason. They had turned on their own people to work for the government and to help them stay in power. So there was a lot of hostility, a lot of bitterness towards tax collectors, of which Matthew is. And yet, what happens? What do we read? Jesus goes to Matthew and says, Come, follow me. Whoa. You know, has anybody ever got to see The Chosen? I urge you to watch it. Um, they did a really good job at uh, the calling of Matthew, kind of fleshing out what it, really, what it really looked like. Because the other 12, I want you to think of this. So, so there's everybody else is, is just astounded. It's an amazing thing that Jesus goes to Matthew, understanding that the call was not yet, yeah, come and have... Um, be with me for a day, but the call that Jesus gave him was a forever call. And because of who they understood and believed tax collectors were, it was profound, but also the twelve, the disciples, the other ones that were called by Jesus. And that's where the chosen really brings that out. So imagine just Jesus calling somebody into the midst that you just despise. That's what was true for them. How, how could they get along? What would that look like? Kind of like, really? Are you serious? Yeah, Jesus was serious. It was an amazing thing, but it doesn't stop there. You continue to read the story and you get into it. What happens from there? Jesus does another incredibly amazing thing. He goes and eats dinner with Matthew and his friends. Here's the upshot. Jesus broke the rules. How did he break the rules? Well, he went to have dinner. He said yes. Maybe you don't understand that. Maybe, but here's the deal. Matthew was viewed as a sinner 
Therefore, he was unclean by Jewish law. So Jesus going and having dinner with him would make him unclean. It was a breaking of the rules. It was a risk. There would be repercussions for that. Jesus knew it. Matthew knew it. And so did somebody else, the Pharisees. But I want you to think about that a minute. Think about it if you're Matthew. First of all, you're totally amazed that this teacher, this Jewish teacher, would call you to follow him and to be a disciple. And then, maybe you have the audacity to say, or just the hope, I think it's the intense hope that that, that Matthew had, hey, will you come and have dinner with me? And I often think about that. Maybe it was a time for him, he was calling everybody to gather to celebrate that Jesus had called him. He was so filled with joy. He had such happiness in his heart. It's amazing that that he would see me this way, that he would call me a celebration. Maybe it was a way for Matthew to say goodbye to all of his friends, his fellow tax collectors. I don't know. All I know is that he invited Jesus at some point in time, what we don't read in the text, and Jesus says yes, knowing fully what it would mean. Now now think think about what that meant to Matthew. That was Jesus proving, proving that he loved them. When he says yes to go to that dinner to be with him, he says you are worth the risk. And I'm going to demonstrate to you that I really do love you. Because I'm going to be there. Profound thing. And he goes, and the Pharisees know it. They know that Jesus is breaking the rules. It's interesting, do they go to him? No. They go to his disciples. And they say, why does your teacher eat, verse 11, with tax collectors and sinners? You know what he's saying to them? What the Pharisees are saying to the disciples? Um, you know your teacher's breaking the rules, right? Why is he doing that? You know that could cause trouble, right? Guilt by association, attempt to instill some fear in them. Jesus hears it. He knows about it. And so he speaks. And he responds. And he says this in verse 12. It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. He's quoting Hosea 6.6 there. And the full verse is this. For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. See, the same thing that happened when God called the prophet Hosea to proclaim truth to the nation of Israel happened all over again. Why did God call the prophet Hosea to speak those words? Because Israel was 
in a place that they are being lost. They had lost their moorings. They had decided to, to make a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, or excuse me, with God, something different than God intended it to be. They decided that all of these rules were just that, and they would create loopholes, etc., etc., but they took the spirit right out of it. They would obey just to simply, to, so they could say they obeyed. That's it. And so, so there wasn't anything that was, was real about that and intimate and personal about following God. And so we all know this. We all know that this is really, really important. And, and I, I know I've shared this before, too. I'd always teach my children, obey me because you love me, not because I tell you to. That, that's God's heart to the nation of Israel. But that's not what they were doing. They were going off and doing whatever it is that they wanted to do, simply checking boxes, but not having a real relationship with God. Their obedience was not grounded in love and, and in desire to follow God. Their obedience was grounded simply in saying, okay, we did it, check. And so Hosea comes and he shares those words with them. Now, I don't care about your burnt offerings. I don't care about your sacrifices. Figure out what it means to have mercy and compassion. Figure out what it means to love me. That's what I'm concerned about. And Jesus says the same thing to the Pharisees here. Why? Because as religious leaders and as a whole, that's where they had been. That's who they were being. People who simply followed the rules. Nothing more. Empty. And if you know Jesus, you know that's not why he came. It's not why God sent him. There's such a sharp contrast in, in those couple of verses. And it's something that the world around us is looking at, watching, and wondering about the church. And the contrast is this. Religion and rules or relationship and love. See, Jesus knew why God sent him. He knew what his purpose was. Pharisees were about rules. Jesus was about Matthew. And he wanted to demonstrate on that day that he loved him more than anything. And that he was willing to risk possibly even his life for him. See how that impacted Matthew? And why he sends a message, a very distinct message to the Pharisees and to you and me. You see, his purpose is our purpose. And his purpose is our challenge. And if we're honest, our purpose and our challenge in terms of winning people to Christ is something that we always need to work on. I want you to think about that. 
I've not come to call the righteous but sinners in terms of purpose and what that means for you personally and for the church. Because quite honestly, that particular purpose, and it's foundational, we understand that. We have that as a part of our mission statement, winning people to Christ. That's how it starts. Here's the reality. It's the first thing that churches lose. And I'm not just saying that abstractly or with no support. Why is it the first thing that they lose? Because Satan works against it with every fiber of his being. He twists, he deceives, he distracts. He does all different kinds of things. Why? Because he does not want one more soul to be forever in glory with God. That's it. And so he'll, he'll, he'll do anything that he can to have that not happen. And if he can get a whole church to be sidetracked and waylaid, he'll do it. Just like he did the nation of Israel. Constantly at work doing that. And he's very, very good at it. I want to read two quotes out of books that were written. I've shared both of them in the earlier series, Change. This is out of uh, Liquid Church, church that's in New Jersey. It's turning Jersey upside down for Jesus. I love it. Here's what they say. Listen closely to this. Let's be frank. Change is hard in any church, not just those in the stage of being a museum or a morgue. In most churches, any attempt for change is instantly challenged. You can't even change a light bulb without calling for a vote on it. He says, change is hard, but it's vital for a church's long-term health and growth. The older a church gets, the more, and listen to this, the more its focus shifts from who they're trying to reach for who they're trying to keep. Pretty profound. And then these words from Rick Warren, Saddleback Church, maybe you've heard of it. On page uh, 65, says this. Sadly, there are many churches today who are completely orthodox in their beliefs but still unfaithful to Christ because they refuse to change programs, methods, styles of worship, buildings, or even locations in order to reach a lost world for Christ. Vance Hafner used to say this, a church can be as straight as a gun barrel doctrinally and just as empty spiritually. We must be willing to say with unreserved commitment to our Lord and Savior, we will do whatever it takes to reach people for Jesus Christ. Why? Because it's our purpose. You know, I did a lot of studying um, in terms of research in the Barna Group. Anybody know the Barna Group? They're America's number one research um, agency group for um, spiritual uh, trends and things that are happening in, in, in uh, America regarding the church and spiritual journeys. Every single study that's been den, uh, done since 2020 has showed that the church is in decline. And the church is in decline in a big way. Today, as we sit here and we worship, 
there are twice as many churches that are closing as there are beginning. There's decline in people who are worshiping all across every single age strata, but especially in Gen Xers and millennials, young people. And there's a decline in pastors and trained leadership. They're leaving ministry in record numbers. If you read these studies, I encourage you to go to the Barna Group, just hit some searches and see what you come up with. They're all tied to one thing, and that is the church has lost its sense of purpose, its reason for existence. Pretty simple. And that's why in our consistory manual, we have this page. Would you advance the slide? So this is um, reading right out of our, our manual. You see up at the top, winning people for Christ, equipping them to serve. That's our purpose. And then I'll just let you read. I'll read it with you. <laughs> Everything we do, every decision, every ministry, every action is to be weighed against and grounded in this mission statement. It is our God-given purpose, our reason for existence. And everything we do must help us strive to fulfill it so that we can impact the very kingdom of God and bring him glory and honor. The reason it's in the manuals, we, we want to really be clear with spiritual leadership that that's what it's to be about right there. I don't think anybody here would disagree with that. And yet we understand and know that it's an incredible challenge, isn't it? I mean, it's a challenge to follow Jesus and be who he calls us to be. And at the top of that list, or part of our purpose is simply to win people for Jesus Christ. There was something else that was really interesting as I read Barna Group research. There was a study um, in it and in the study, there was a question that was asked churches, so, so could be asked of our church. And the question was this. How many people are you aware of that have come to know Jesus Christ out of your church's ministries? The answers to those questions were astounding. Many churches who fulfilled out that survey said zero. Many more churches said and had an answer of less than 10. These are churches with thousands of people in them. And yet it's a, it's a rudimentary, it's a foundational part of following Jesus. Jesus was on this earth out of God's great love to win lost people to his grace to know his love, to accept the grace that he, Jesus, offered when he died on the cross. And yet church after church after church said zero or less than ten. Very few had any kind of substantial numbers there. You see why it's our challenge? Do you see why Jesus said a long time ago so that we would hear it? Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not to come come to call the righteous but sinners so challenge in terms of following Jesus is to do just that so when we leave this place 
and we go and we live in the world for six days, we think about our purpose, our reason for existence. We think about God and we think about Jesus. We think about people, tax collectors, and others. And we have it in our hearts to reach out, to know, to ask, to spend time with, to share, to be salt, to be light. Because that's the reason that you have grace. That's the reason I have grace. It's to share that grace and to be that light, that city on a hill that can't be hid. It's an incredible challenge. And I'm going to ask everybody here a question that ought to be obvious to us. When was the last time you shared Jesus Christ with someone? I hope it was yesterday. I want to close um, with a story. And uh, regrettably, I didn't ask a person to share their name, so I'm going to leave that out. But it's a beautiful story. A beautiful story. And there's many others like it over the last couple of years. But this happened just a couple of weeks ago. Um, we already prayed for the Mickelson family. And Eric was um, up in the hospital and had had that severe stroke. But he was still cognate. And um, I had been talking to, to Jenny and was aware of what was going on and, and, and um, seeing Eric. And then I, I got a call on a Saturday afternoon. And the call was um, one uh, that was just kind of like that reserved excitement. That's how I picked up in the voice of the person who called me and said, hey, I have something really incredible. I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but this is the gist of it. I have something really incredible to tell you. I was just with Eric's brother, seeing Eric. And guess what happened? We were talking about Jesus, and Eric prayed to receive Jesus Christ as his Savior. The only regret I had in that moment was that I didn't have the personal privilege to, to being there in that moment. But that's okay. <laughs> it was a profound thing. And it caused me to do just what I'm doing now, get all choked up and emotional. See, because there's nothing greater. That's the trip of a lifetime. No matter how long it is on earth, for all of eternity, we lose scope of that sometimes. See, we, we think in finite terms, eternity. In that moment, his eternity was changed forever. Why? Because somebody knew about Jesus as Savior and wanted to share that with him, the greatest gift ever. It's profound, it's awesome, it's exciting. I had the 
privilege, and I think I need to share this with you as well, something I'll share um, at the funeral, but uh, in conversations that I had with Jenny, um, she said that she was incredibly thankful for you. She said because over the last year or so, they've been worshiping with us for about a year, but on that set the table for that moment, that glorious moment. I said that the relationship that um, Eric, um, there's a long story for that too, and I won't share that with you, but um, wasn't much of a, a church person. But worshiping here, um, building relationships with people, really created a change in his heart and in his life. And so I want to say thank you for that. If you had a relationship with Eric or you knew him and you opened up your heart to him, praise the Lord. And that made a difference for all of eternity a couple weeks ago. And Eric is forever with Jesus in heaven. Yeah, amen. Yeah. And I shared that story because that is our purpose. To go on a trip of a lifetime following Jesus, winning people for Christ. What will it look like? Who will those people be? I don't know. But it doesn't matter. Because in the moment when that happens, it's going to be incredible and glorious. May it be. May it be for you. May it be for us. A great adventure following Jesus and winning people for Christ. Nothing like it. Would you pray with me? Lord God, I want to thank you for the privilege. Lord, we've talked about it in terms of a challenge, and that's just because we know the enemy. We know how good he is. Lord, we call it a privilege because that's exactly what it is. And it is a glorious moment. Lord, it is my hope that everybody here has had the privilege, the opportunity to be in your presence when you open somebody's heart to receive your gift of grace. It is incredible. Nothing like it on the face of the earth. To know that you've been given the privilege and the opportunity to be a part of your plans as a partner in the gospel. And to see somebody's eternity changed forever right in front of you, what a glorious thing. And that is your grace. And that is the privilege that you give to us as the church. To be. To be people who win people for Christ as we simply follow you. So Lord, as we begin this Easter season, might it be, might we understand it, might we know it, might we seize it with all of our fiber and all of our being. I'll praise to you, great Lord our God. We pray with, again, humility and with gratitude. In your holy and in your precious name, amen.